Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway, the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway, the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Feeling great. <laughs> I tricked my birdie is what I did. Wow. This might be one of those, uh, when we look back in the sand and there was only one set of prints. Yeah. Uh, it was because you were the one stealing all the sand. Yeah, man, I can I can hear the struggle in your voice. I got your back. It's uh, you know, sometimes it's a struggle. Most of the time, it's not. This is easy compared to most jobs. Yes, and uh, it's a real job, especially on days like today when uh, one or both of us is feeling under the weather and jet lagged, and yeah. all the rest. Honestly, many many a time, this is the thing that I needed. Mm-hmm. All along, you know, it's the recharge. Yeah, let's charge you up, man. Let's charge me up. I'm really glad we didn't roll like a fucking power hour on this one, though. <laughs> What's up with our game? Is our game still broken? Oh. Several FODs wrote to us saying, hey, your little game is broken, and it appears to remain that way. I don't know what we do at the end of this episode, Ben. Maybe there, maybe this is a no roll. Wow, that would be rare and weird. And then we just do a regular old episode next time. If the game's working, we'll roll then. I don't know what to make of it. I have, you know me, I'm worried that I hurt somebody's feelings at all times and in all places. <laughs> and uh, at Th- the end of our- This is a personal problem is what you're saying. <laughs> well, at the end of our show in London, we got to meet Craig Anderson in person for the first time. Oh yeah, and Craig's great. I said, hey, Craig, uh, we are going to go get a bite to eat with our friend Jeremy after this. We would love for you to join us because, you know, what what better way to pay Craig back for all of the kind work that he's done uh, building this board game from the ground up. Absolutely. And like always refusing to get paid for it than uh, take him out for a nice meal. And I said, here's my phone number. Uh, text me and I will text you the details because we didn't really know like mm-hmm. when we were getting out of there mm-hmm. and um, you know where we were going or how we were getting there. We, we had no information to provide at that point. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I said, uh, just send me a text. And then I did check my phone at some point to see if he had texted before uh, we had headed out to dinner and I didn't see a text. But looking back on when he <laughs> texted me, it came in, much earlier than when I checked, so I think I was just like in the delirium of post-show, and I, I must have missed it for some reason. Oh, no. And so I didn't text him back until like I was uh, back at the hotel uh, that night, and I was like, hey, man, I'm super sorry. I did not see this, and uh, you were totally invited, but I failed to <laughs> notice your text when uh, you sent it. Was there a reply to that? Yeah, he said, all good, mate. Okay. Just finishing up a rad night with FODs. I was chuffed you th- even thought to invite me. So it sounds like Craig went out and uh, partied with some other FODs, which is always a good a good backup plan, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what chuffed means in London <laughs> English, but it probably means I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to unplug your fucking website, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny. When we went out to dinner, uh, our buddy took a couple of pictures of us. Yeah. And like anything else that happened that day, I don't remember any of it. My mind was completely scrambled. I look like, like the expression on my face, I've never seen that expression before. <laughs> like, I look totally not even there. Yeah. Was I a good dinner companion? You were. You kind of narrated when you were coming in and out of <laughs> of your presence in the room, though. Like there were there were times where you're like, "I'm here. I'm 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 enjoying myself," and there were other times where you were like, "I don't know what's going on or where I am." I was fading in and out of fugue state. Like <laughs> it's so weird. I had so much coffee that day because I was like. Well, the one thing I know I'm not going to be is tired. but And I wasn't tired. I wasn't body tired, but mind tired, I definitely yeah. was. We ordered two bottles of wine at this dinner. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were having that kind of night. It was a wine show, another, another wine show. Oh, that's what we do. On an almost all wine show tour because we're playing a bunch of wineries on this tour. That's right. It was fun to go to uh, like a proper chop house in London. Yeah. I'd never done that before. Yeah, and uh, our waitress happened to be uh, French, and I tried to order two different bottles of wines, and both bottles that I had picked out off the menu were French in origin, just by coincidence, and both times she said, That bottle is a war crime! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She was very upset. She really stomped my nuts a couple of times. This isn't one of those restaurants where like the the servers are known for being mean to people. This wasn't like a a bit restaurant. No, no. And I think she was actually being super nice, but uh in that in that classic way where I just think that like when you uh say, "Hey, this is the bottle of wine I want," and they say, "You're wrong about that, sir." It really draws a bright underline under how little you know about wine, which, you know, I'm willing, I'm prepared to admit I don't know a lot about wine. (laughs) I think you know more than I do. And I think the technology that I deploy in situations like that is like, I never pick one. I'm like, I like wine that tastes like dirt, or I like a, (laughs) I'm in the mood for something dry, or like the sort of food that we're planning on ordering is this. What's a good bottle for that? Like, I never want to get married to a bottle of wine on the list. Like, mm. I, I want to work collaboratively with the person. And yeah. a lot of times that works. I went home uh, to the hotel room and was telling my wife about what had happened with the waitress and the bottles of wine. <laughs> you want to know what question she asked me? <laughs> she asked me if the waitress was hot. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you had... An unusual European trip, I will <laughs> <You did>. say. <laughs> you want to know something uh, me and my my good friend Phil from Seattle tell each other almost all the time, like as a refrain? Like, mm. out of nowhere, I'll get a text on my phone from him, and this is what the text will say. You did nothing wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'll start sending these text messages to you when I get them from Phil, because I need I need to know this. On regular occasions. Phil has my number. Can 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 he put me on his list of recipients? You did nothing wrong, Ben. You didn't do anything wrong. I, intellectually I know that, but in my <laughs> in my deep emotional core, I feel strongly that I did. We got a bottle of Bulgarian red wine at the you end. Yeah. It was sturdy. <laughs> I loved it. 
Yeah. Uh, love a love a uh, an Iron Curtain wine. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was big fun. I don't remember ever ever having a bottle in the states, so that was neat. That was great. Want to thank Jeremy for being our uh, our dinner companion. That was fun. Yeah, I was really hoping to get to see Jeremy's uh, narrow boat because he lives on uh, on a canal boat when he's in the UK, and uh, he has a, a great TikTok page about like what it is like to live on a canal boat. It's like this total amazing lifestyle where he has to like, oh yeah, like I had to call the 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 guy that works the lock uh, at this you know part of the country that I'm heading towards so that I could uh, arrange for passage into a different altitude of water. It seems neat to me, but being a person from Seattle with knowledge of folks who've lived on houseboats and in that climate, no fucking thanks. <laughs> like, like the thing that I've heard from folks who live in London is that like it's terrible for weather and it's cold all the time. Outside of the time that we were there for the London Podcast Festival, like my hands and feet are cold as it is. If I lived in a home that was on the water, I would never be warm. I couldn't yeah. live that way. You would never be warm. And also, you have the kind of fastidiousness that I feel like would... I'd be out there with a pool skimmer, like, in the water, yeah, <laughs> cleaning up yeah. the area around my house. You you would be oh, absolutely overwhelmed by all of the different maintenance tasks that you would assign yourself living on a boat. You really know me. Yeah, that would, <laughs> that's absolutely how it would go. I'd be bloating and floating yeah. uh, after like two weeks. Uh, which is why I, I would not station you in the engineering department if I was the captain of a starship. I, I'd put you on something a little bit more chill, a little less uh, important for keeping everybody alive. Not because I don't think you would do a good job, because I don't think it would be emotionally healthy for you. I am so glad that you look out for me that way. In the way that I hope you feel like I look out for you, Ben, I'd never assign you to a death mission. Never, ever. Well, speaking of people working in engineering and people going on death missions, let's get into the episode today, Adam. It's season six of Star Trek Voyager, episode 18. And uh, you know that Kevin Uxbridge loves this one because of how raunchy it gets toward the end. Ashes to ashes. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. We start in media dogfight. It's a uh, it's ship on shuttle violence. This lady is uh, flying a shuttle away from a huge ship, and she's speaking a different language. She manages to escape, and then starts broadcasting to Voyager in English. She seems like a really good pilot. Like you don't know anything about this character in the beginning, but she's never panicky. She's always in control. Yeah. She definitely knows how to disable this much larger ship yeah. that's on her tail. Like, kind of a good introduction to her. It almost looks like she's targeting Voyager initially when it shows Voyager on the computer. I thought that as well. Yeah. But no, she's just uh, sending in a broadcast, and uh, that is our cold open. Like, a, a tight one-minute cold open, I feel like. After the theme, we see Mizadi, one of the Lilith Borg's children in the ass lab. And she does that thing that, uh, like, most kids her age are instructed to do this when the parents are away. Like, you mm. are to answer the phone while we're gone. <laughs> and you say, uh, you say, seven residents. Uh -huh. At least this is what it was like in my house, right? When my parents would leave on the, on the rare occasions when they would ever leave. 
And you would say, my parents can't come to the phone right now, not my parents aren't home. Exactly, because that's how you get thrown into a van and stolen, Yeah, as was the fear uh, of the time. I guess this isn't a thing anymore. Like, kids don't pick up their parents' cell phones and answer them. Hey, Mom, what does you up mean? <laughs> There's some little pictures in this text. <laughs> what are these of? <laughs> this one looks like Grimace. <laughs> I mean, is the thing with that that no one has a house phone anymore? Yeah, I don't think anybody does. So this is just like Mazzotti is doing something that was true in the 90s, but is no, no longer true. And it seems like it should be more difficult to do this. Yeah. What is difficult to do is uh, is transfer this call to Captain Janeway. And that's who uh, the, the voice on the other end of the line is urgently asking for. Mazzotti's kind of trying to like have her own conversation. Is this urgent though? I mean, I, I understand the urgency from the other end, but like the the adult on the conversation is doing that thing where like Mazzotti's an about to explode bomb that you want to like treat very gently. Are there any grown-ups I could speak to? <laughs> Even though you're in an emergency situation yourself? Yeah. Like Mazzotti is doing the urgent phone call version of when like a six-year-old is walking in an airport and you're like, this kid is not aware of their surroundings and there are people racing to get on their planes. This yeah. kid is going to get trampled. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. So the call uh, hangs up or, or disconnects before anything can happen. I guess, it's is it that Mazzotti is like reaching for a button and accidentally hangs it up? Yeah, she needs a, uh, a step stool or like a grabber device to oh, hit yeah. those buttons up tall. So uh, in walk... All of the other Lilith Borgs and Seven and Tuvok. And there's like a whole scene about like Tuvok kind of dragging Seven's parenting skills. You left the children unsupervised. I was gone for less than 10 minutes. Mazzotti is like distracted while they're all having this conversation because she has turned back around to the computer to see if she can reestablish contact with this lady. I don't know like a healthy way to react to this, but when the kid has fucked up, why is Mizadi turned back around and, and hitting the buttons again? Like, <laughs> get her away from the buttons. Yeah. Well, she hasn't been told which punishment protocol to be doing yet. Tuvok's really interesting here in the, like, he does not scold Mizadi. He scolds Seven for permitting Mizadi mm-hmm. to do this. That's good parenting, right? Like, <laughs> like in front of Mazzotti. <laughs> disagree about uh, a decision that needs to be made. Like, like hash that out in front of the kids to, to yeah. show that there's dissension among the ranks. Hey, guess what? Uh, the call is reestablished by Tuvok, and uh, they hear the follow-up request to talk to Janeway. And on the bridge, we see this FaceTime. It's a person that introduces herself as Ensign Lindsay Ballard. Yeah. She is uh, really excited to see Janeway and specifically excited to see Harry Kim. And Harry Kim feigns ignorance at this. <laughs> but uh, I, I swear I don't know her, you guys. <laughs> but yeah, she, she does not look like the Lindsay Ballard that they remember. And this is one of those like retcons that drives me crazy. Like, could they not just bring back like somebody that had been an extra in previous episodes or something? So, somebody that was like... Plausibly familiar. It would have been cool. But like, if you're casting extras 
are you really trying to cast the extras that have it, you know? Yeah, they might be distracting to the camera. Yeah. So I like Janeway's take here because she initially takes great umbrage with the idea, just the very idea that this is Lindsay Ballard. I don't know who you are, but I'm not amused. She wants to check her ID. She's fine with beaming at her six bay behind a force field until they can do this. And uh, the force field is there to keep Harry Kim from her, I guess. <laughs> and her from Harry Kim. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Yeah, I mean, she claims to know exactly what his clarinet looks like. And she's describing the clarinet in really fine detail. Like, it comes apart in pieces, and there are a bunch of valves and stuff. (laughs) Wow, she must have seen this specific clarinet. (laughs) The doctor scans her while she describes her last mission with Harry Kim. And this is a harrowing story of shit going wrong involving yeah. the Herogen. And uh, things go dead wrong for her. They give her the commensurate torpedo tube funeral. They shoot her out into space. And what happened to her is that her torpedo was found by the Kabali, who procreate by reanimating the dead of other races. What an interesting idea. I really like this a lot. I do too. It's sort of like the existential version of, uh, you going to eat the rest of that? (laughs) Like the Kabbalah see that you haven't finished eating. How did this species arise though? (laughs) Yeah, there was a first Kabbalah. Do you think the first Kabbalah was just someone who was buried not dead? Yeah, they were like, hey, this gives me a great idea. It's really quite simple. All life is a physical and chemical process, correct? They must have very strong feelings about the dead in general. Were you expecting at this moment for Jeffrey Combs to make an appearance? I've conquered brain death. No doubt. <laughs> I, I was shocked that he wasn't in this episode at this point. I feel like Jet Laya's loaf is still warm from Jeffrey Combs' face. <laughs> So uh, they have, you know, a conversation about all of this and the EMH announces like, yeah, there's like the DNA that you would need to establish that this is probably, in fact, Lindsay Ballard in there. Uh, I mean, it's been heavily altered and she's been turned into this other thing. But uh, I think once this person was the person she's claiming to be. There's something really interesting about the performance that Kim Rhodes gives because in describing what the Kabali did, the word desecration is not thrown around. Like, there is inherent cruelty in the idea of being made to forget your past life. Right. In the way that the Kabali made her. But there's also, like, some respect for the idea that, like, she was dead <laughs> and now she is alive, uh-huh. which is a way of being that she wouldn't have been without the Kabali. And so, like, because she did not forget her past life, she jaked a shuttle, and she 
attempted to find Voyager, which she did. Believe me, I was suspicious myself at first, but I am Lindsay Ballard. I love Janeway here, too. Yeah. She's, she's like, if only you had been a hologram, maybe I would care more about your feelings or your agency here. Maybe I would even make out with you. Yeah, but uh, she does decide that uh, this is like an innocent until proven guilty moment. Oh, this time. That's good. And so she allows the force field to be dropped, and uh, she lets uh, Harry Kim and Lindsay, we assume, have a little moment together. There's coffee in that convincing story. It really helps that she's so nice, right? You don't get trauma from this character. Right. In a way that you might expect, if if you, Benjamin R. Harrison, were to die and then be reanimated. Or if any comparison was made to like what the Borgs do. Like she's essentially been assimilated and lots of people have come back from that and we know how fucked up that feels. That's what makes it so unreal that Seven is relegated to the B story without any sort of opinion about this. Yeah, she doesn't even cross paths with this person. You need to cross-pollinate the trauma here, mm. don't you? <laughs> I think so. Well, you need to share your pain. And gain strength from the share. But that's part of it. Like, Jetlia slash Lindsay Ballard is, like, nice and kind and happy to see Harry Kim. And revenge is not at the top of her mind for what's happened to her. She seems great. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't want to take it out on the Banes or the Kobali. They get forgiveness, you know? It makes you like her from Jump, I think. I think that is uh, very effective. Yeah. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. What is also effective, I think, is the chemistry between her and Harry Kim. Like, there is affection that is not romantic, but... It is deep. And yeah. I thought that the performances by both actors in this dynamic did a really good job of establishing that there's like potential for more than a friendship here. But what this is at this point is a really old friendship and two people meeting up after one of them thought the other was dead for yeah. a long time. I'm glad it's this and not like a married relationship where someone has moved on or whatever after death. Like you could right. really complexify this story in a way that I think could muddy it up. Totally. We have to have a McLaughlin group about this situation. Issue one. This kind of feels like maybe the first time Lindsay Ballard ever got to meet with the senior staff. <laughs> it's meet your now alive, previously dead employee day. <laughs> She's a fine officer who's shown a lot of courage and determination over the past few years. This was so timely, this scene, because I immediately thought, well, I mean, does she have to go back to work right now? Does that kind of suck if you do? Do they give her like a couple of weeks to like reacclimate, like, or anything? Yeah. Your old shift is waiting for you in engineering. I mean, this is Voyager, and they're like, this person that claims to be somebody that we know. We're going to extend all the trust of them being the person we know and then put her next to the warp core where we put the things. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> so, yeah, like the only precautions they're really worried about are like, what if the Kobali come back looking for her? So, you know, Tuvok going to do some analysis of her shuttle and see if he can kind of get his head around how they would defend themselves from the Kobali. But uh, it's really the meeting after the meeting that's important here, right? Because once yeah. everyone fucks off, it's just... 
Lindsay Ballard and Janeway. And Lindsay thanks Janeway for being so nice and for inviting her to a meeting she's never been to before in her entire career. Where was that on the list? Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) She has this running list for the rest of the episode that she tells Harry Kim about after the meeting where it's like all of the things I wanted to do when I got back to the world. It's like, you know, guys that went to Vietnam going like, man, when I get back stateside, I'm getting a hamburger. They just don't make them like that here. You know? What's in your fantasy fridge, right? Yeah. Didn't you get heavy Robin Leffler vibes from Lindsay Ballard? The reason Mm. I ask that is that Robin Leffler also had like her rules. Law 17, when all else fails, do it yourself. When you have rules and lists and you're an interesting lady in Star Trek, like that's a type of person. (laughs) Yeah. And by type of person, I mean the type of person that Star Trek wants you to fall in love with. Yeah. Why? (laughs) Why couldn't they just get Ashley Judd for this part? I know. I know. (laughs) Who else is Lindsay Ballard supposed to get chummy with? (laughs) That's what I'm here for. So we cut over to, I guess it's Neelix's galley where this takes place in, right? Yeah. Where Naomi Wildman has some kind of board game set up. And this overly organized fun arranged by an overly organized Borgs who doesn't understand fun leads inevitably to disaster. Fun will now commence. And, you know, it's not long before uh, (laughs) Naomi is like accusing Borgs of cheating and... You know, Icheb is uh, having a very characteristic Icheb-like public meltdown that (laughs) is totally uncalled for. What did you make of this punishment? Like, if you're a Borgs or an ex-Borgs, just standing there staring has got to be one of the most comfortable things you could do. Like, <laughs> it's not like being a being a child told to stand in the corner, like wearing the dunce cap or whatever. Like, you know, Borgs fucking love this. They love staring. That's the briar patch for them, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love staring into the middle distance. Punishment protocol nine eight. Fuck yeah. Oh. <laughs> It sure does feel like these XB kids are moody as hell in that middle school kind of way that are going to be a problem. Yeah. And not just because Seven's a helicopter parent. Like, they are awkward forces interacting here. It does seem like Mazzotti and Naomi are like similar age, like, or like similar levels of maturity and, and similarly serious characters. Like, it sort of feels like they might get along great. Are assimilation tubules a thing that happened at Borg's puberty? Mm. (laughs) Like once those babies come in. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're ready to assimilate. Our bodies are changing. We're seeing tubules show up in places that tubules never were before. You you always want a bathroom with a partition if you're a male Mm. Borg. You don't want to see out of the corner of your eye someone hanging extra tubule. Oh, God. (laughs) Really dispiriting. Yeah. I hate going to a Borg's ballpark and they have that trough-based urinal. Yeah. Just looking at a row of tubules. Yeah. The reason I ask is, like, it doesn't seem like the kids are dangerous in that way that I think would add a little extra fun to every scene involving the littlest Borgs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this disaster having been established, we cut over to some quarters where Harry Kim has helped 
Ensign Ballard get all of her old personal effects out of storage, which they kept on board the ship. And he's like, yeah, like they, they asked me to throw all this stuff in the matter recycler, but I didn't do it. Didn't you want them to have thrown away her shit? Like, I think that would have hit really hard in a really good way. I think part of my issue with this episode is that like death and resurrection are not as traumatic as maybe they should be to this character. And the idea that like after three years, it would seem as though a greater amount of moving on would have happened here. Like, I'm not saying like they'd forget about her because they wouldn't, but like the practical matter of getting rid of someone's stuff seems like it could have and should have happened here. Even if it hadn't happened, it would have been interesting for them to talk about why. Because yeah. like moving on is a uniquely big deal for this crew because yeah. they have been out of touch with their families for such a long time. And so like now that they have been able to like learn a little bit about what's going on back in the Alpha Quadrant and people in the Alpha Quadrant are aware that they're out there, there's all these new baggage surrounding like, you know, like probably lots of them had spouses and, and significant others that moved on and you know, families that held memorials for them and stuff. And this is exactly the right spot for you to have said that because like when you go through your old things, how much were you expecting a conversation about those family members or or partners or whatever? Like I wanted to know all of that stuff right here, but instead you get some memories of, of two folks who knew each other at the Academy. And there's like, some joking around about being dead that uh, Lindsay is very interested in doing to the point where, like, it seems to really hurt Harry Kim to endure the sort of jokes that she tells about herself. Yeah. And even when it's clear that he's hurting, she continues to smash those nuts. You always were a terrible public speaker. It is a weird tone to take with somebody who's telling you about like what the eulogy at your funeral was. Yeah. But I guess like in some ways she's had a long time to process the idea that everybody thinks she's dead. Yeah. What What's interesting is like she hasn't been dead for three years. Everyone else thinks she has been. And so she's had the benefit of those three years to process yeah. everything that's happened. Yeah. We learned that her, her whole ethos is uh, based on a Klingon saying of own the day. And that was like the theme of Harry's eulogy. And uh, they're talking about this when the EMH calls them down to Six Bay and announces that he has... Not a cure for what ails her, but a uh, a cure for what makes her look the way she looks. <laughs> the doctor, uh, you know, notably an opera fanatic, decides to change the music that plays in Six Bay. Needle drop on Sixpence, none the richer here. <laughs> when Lindsay Ballard takes off her glasses and shakes out her bald head. <laughs> She just looks too good to be a librarian, right? Yeah. I thought that the production challenge of combining like the makeup department having kind of three different phases of mm-hmm. uh, Kobali loaf for her and also the special effect of morphing between those was really well done here. Like yeah, the, about the same. The way it looks and the fact that her face is able to move is like, it's so good. And like this, this morph effect is really beautifully done, I thought. There's some, some blurring between faces here too. Yeah. 
And this first treatment doesn't take her all the way back to human. It gets her kind of closer to a midpoint between Kobali and human. Like her ears are less pronounced and like her skin tone comes a little bit more back. And People are still going to ask her why the long face, mm. but it's just not as long as it used to be. Yeah. I was wondering if the doctor was going to pop that giant boil on the back of her head. <laughs> it just rockets into the ceiling. Like <laughs> it knocks down the drop ceiling behind them. <laughs> Punches a hole in the hull. <laughs> oh. That's only one hypo spray. Man. Amazing. Glad we were filming that. This is going to go crazy viral on r slash popping. I've got to get that platinum. Get that low enlargement. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Over in the mess hall, Neelix has made a big salad for Lindsay yeah. Ballard. Uh, <laughs> She's now in uniform. Would never have guessed that acai bowl makes it this far into the future, but it does. Yeah. No one knows how to say it, even then. <laughs> ben, it doesn't taste the same. Yeah. No offense, but it's got sort of a metallic flavor. And you think it's just because Neelix is a shit cook. It's not. Kim thinks it tastes fine. Biologically, she's different now. Maybe uh, the doctor should have stuck a hypo spray on her tongue. <laughs> so the other thing she had on her list was go show up early for work. That was number 16. Yeah. And being good at her work was also, I guess, on the list. And she's, uh, she seems to have turned over a new leaf there as well because BLT has like a, yeah, there's some like, you know, minor problem with alignment of blah, 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 blah. And she just kind of breaks into Kabbali terminology as she starts talking about this. And then eventually just talking pure Kabbali as she fixes the problem. And everybody in engineering is like, what the fuck just happened? Everyone in engineering who should be used to by now, working with people of different cultures and languages, <laughs> stares at her like she is a monster. Yeah. The universal translator does not work when somebody spontaneously switches from one language to another. But uh, having successfully solved for that problem, she's immediately assigned another project, which she agrees to do. We cut down to the ass lab where turns out Chakotay is now just a message boy on the ship. He's just bringing an iPad from Tuvok to Seven. How far has this character fallen? It's incredible. I know, it sucks. Yeah. He's uh, trying to like be a, a shoulder for Seven to lean on here because Seven does not want to be a guardian to the Lilith Borgs anymore. Seven's like, why wouldn't they like me? What? With this incredible schedule I've made for them. And she yeah. gestures to the giant screen in the ass lab that shows it. And you see a bit of the schedule. And it doesn't look fun at all. It looks like a giant drag. It looks like my schedule in high school. Yeah, it's no good. And uh, Chakotay recognizes this. He tells her as much. And he's not going to grant her request to get off this duty. She's going to have to both please this booty and keep caring for the kiddos. <laughs> Sorry, Seven. Permission denied. I mean, the point he's making is like, you should schedule fun, but also sometimes spontaneous fun is nice. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is advice that Dan Savage gives to couples that have been together for a long time. It's like, initially, the two of you are the adventure uh, to each other. But now, to continue, you have to, like, go on adventures together. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the scheduled fun, but uh, you know, like that can lead to spontaneous fun, I guess. Right. But uh, don't make the the fun too spontaneous. Yeah. Sometimes you need to take a thorough shower. Mm. Uh, it's your duty to clean that booty. <laughs> yeah, you got to use the backup loofah <laughs> for some spontaneous fun. Yeah. Speaking of spontaneous fun, Harry Kim has an idea that he's going to take Lindsay on an ice skating date in the holodeck, and he's getting all dressed up for it. And we are reminded that Tom Paris is also on this show. You two sure have been spending a lot of time together lately. Don't start. I love this scene because it's like Tom Paris enters the frame, smashes Harry Kim in the nuts for his long list of terrible love interests he's had on the show, and then just exits. <laughs> Like, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Paris. <laughs> it's not like Paris has done much better. I mean, no one knows if he's in a relationship with BLT at this point. Yeah. We've seen very little evidence of it lately. When you hear the love interests uh, enumerated, right? Mm -hmm. It is a trail of bodies that is not enviable. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a bad body count. Mm -hmm. Now he's going to try and hook up with a dead chick and he goes down to six bay where the big reveal is that uh Lindsay has decided to be a redhead now that she's been resurrected she's a stone cold fox good hair color choice haircut choice that could not be more 2000 god so true the absolute most year 2000 haircut that has ever year 2000 you just don't see this haircut in the world anymore, do you? No, it's gone. Yeah. When those towers came down, people stopped doing that hair. Was it all a dream? <laughs> this haircut on the cover of 2000's Haircut Magazine? <laughs> Crazy. She is not going to be able to participate in the spontaneous fun with Harry because she's been invited to dinner with the captain and... Harry is immediately seized with jealousy. In six years, I have never been invited to the captain's quarters for dinner. We cut over to Chakotay, who for some reason is, is in the room, and down to his hand. He snaps a pencil. <laughs> I've never gotten that either. <laughs> dinner with the captain, wow. I've always wanted to try her famous pot roast. God damn it. How hot and wet do you like it? How fucking bad is the captain at cooking when... The replicated roast is burned. Mm. What are you doing? It's a, it's a replicator. You got to go low and slow with the replication, I think. Yeah. That's the lesson here. Also, that's like a 10-pound cut of meat. <laughs> that's because I like leftovers. <laughs> Why does Janeway like vegetable broth but a giant beefy pot roast? And it apparently is the only thing she made. Like, she has no sides available. Like, it's, it's that or PB&Js. The best part of a pot roast are those soft root vegetables. Where's the oh. carrot and the potato? <laughs> Potatoes. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> a pot roast is typically adorned with root vegetables that cook low and slow along with the meat. Cooking low and slow. Causes the collagen to break down in the meat <laughs> and the complex structures in the vegetables to break down along with it, leading to soft, melt-in-your-mouth delicious food that is comforting on a cold winter's night. No one's going to eat just the meat. It's not satisfying. You're going to drive your customers away and you're not taking care of the vegetarians in the neighborhood. 
<laughs> Lindsay has shown up in a dress uniform, which makes it just a dinner full of faux pas, right? And didn't even have like a, uh, you know, she wasn't even tricked into it like Uhura was in that episode of Strange New Worlds. There's one thing in these quarters that I became obsessed with. I want to know if if this was the same for you, Ben. The clear vertical <laughs> bread box. Yeah. Is there a reason we're not going vertical with the bread in society these days? Like... Is is it that the bottom pieces would get crushed under the weight of the top pieces? It seems like a very efficient way to store bread. Bread's not that heavy. I know. StarTrek.com, why are you not selling this as a merch item? You know, I looked up this prop, Ben. Mm-hmm. The clear Lucite vertical bread box. Yeah. And uh, it was briefly up for auction. No kidding. Uh, and I went to look at, at who might have bought it because... You know, sometimes auction winners will resell these items. Yeah. This one didn't. Garrett Wong. Damn. (laughs) He's just sitting on this horde of amazing screen-used props. You know what's great about winning the vertical bread box auction is you get to keep the uh, Talaxian fly inside of it. (laughs) That's two displays for the price of one there. Yeah, it is... It is both a screen-used prop and a display case for yeah. a screen-used prop. Yeah, that's great value there. Respect to Garrett Wong. So Lindsay Ballard is pretty twisted up over her death and is also just kind of out of sorts. Like she she busted Janeway's chops over the, uh, over the pot roast being like a way to repel a Kobali attack. I just thought like maybe the Kobali could help her reanimate that pot roast, bring it back to life, you know? Do you think if you're Kobali, you could overanimate something? Mm. Like if the pot roast is burned, you maybe go too far and turn it back into a cow. <laughs> you turn it into Maggie O'Calloran. Would you like to hold my hand? Everyone was staring at me. I love this moment. Like, she speaks before thinking. Yeah. In a way that I know you and I have, have done Miriam times. Yeah, doing bits around the boss can have, yeah. you know, deleterious effects on your career. I can't believe I just said that. Why? It was funny. You can't do bits on pot roast. That's what she does. Yeah. She's curious why she was sent on the away mission that claimed her life, because she wasn't necessarily the greatest person for the job. And Janeway's like, I don't know. I, I, that's such a minor decision in the scheme of things for me. I couldn't possibly tell you. Do you think I actually consider people who aren't on the bridge crew? <laughs> You're just a body. Hmm. That's what she says. When Lindsay kind of quotes Kabali scripture at her. She's starting to make a little bit of sense. Mm. And I like that she was willing to ask the captain directly about these concerns, but it seems as though she's not really in control of what she's thinking or what she's saying in such a way that she like needs to extricate herself from the situation. Like She kind of runs away from dinner. She runs away from dinner and right into a dream sequence. This felt like a very Baywatch type of sequence, right? (laughs) Yeah. Very abrupt. Hard to think she's going to get another dinner invitation after this. 
Yeah. She kind of walks into not really her funeral, but a like, we're gathering to uh, remind you why you shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, it seems mean. You weren't supposed to come back. You don't belong here anymore. Get the fuck out! I mean, they've got the like flower arrangement on their torpedo tube in there, but it, it's, it's also like at her yeah. in this way. But uh, it was all a dream. She's on the cover of Not Dead magazine. <laughs> and back in Harry Kim's quarters, Lindsay just goes and invites herself in and sits on his bed and vents. And I'm watching Harry Kim here, and I'm like, do not try to fix this, Harry. Yeah. Just listen. Don't try to fix. Do not fix it. I mean, it's it's tough when someone's venting and like clearly in emotional distress and your boner pokes into the smaller back through your bed sheet. Also, you've been sleeping, so you know you got that that morning breath going. Mm. Which is why I'd very much like to kiss you now. You can't make a move here, Harry. But make a move he does. Yeah. And it works. You can tell she really likes him for putting up with this breath. They cut to a shot of Voyager going into a wormhole. <laughs> Cut to a shot of a clarinet being pushed fully formed into a pot roast. <laughs> I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. The next day in the mess hall, the Lilith Borgs work on sculptures, and Mizadi is the only one who has made an erotic cake. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Sexy Cakes, the erotic bakery. And for this, Seven does not punish her. Yeah. Well, it's an extremely flattering erotic cake of Seven, so. Seven looks at the sculpture and looks at Mizadi, and she's like, Mizadi, is this what fun looks like? I don't see the resemblance. You know, a lot of people talk about Seven's bust. This is the first time we see it. (laughs) I did not live far away from an erotic bakery in my college years, and what a fun place that was. Wow, did you ever buy anything? Yes, and I had wow. cake spot for me also. <laughs> just, they're so absurd. Yeah. Just the idea of it. The idea that that could be the entire organizing principle of a bakery is really great. The thing about erotic cakes is how not erotic they are in any way. A woman going to the bathroom, you don't find it erotic? No, not really. They're not getting anybody quite as horny as Harry Kim's morning breath. No. In uh, in Harry's quarters, Lindsay is now sitting on the floor. Is this all happening in the same night? Like, are the Borgs up late doing clay, and then, like, post-coitus, Lindsay is up feeling feels? I mean, when you have your back completely blown out, does it just <laughs> feel better to sit on the floor after? <laughs> is that what's up? Harry Kim just conked out in his refractory period. I lasted 22 minutes. <laughs> Lindsay's new new dad gets on FaceTime with Janeway and is like, hey, uh, I, I really want to speak with my daughter. Um, what's she up to right now? What's my beloved daughter doing right at this moment? Do you have the ability to like show me on the view screen? Just love to take a look at whatever she's up to. But uh, yeah, there's this uncomfortable meetup in the meeting room where... Lindsay comes in and and is face-to-face with her father, who could have easily been played by Jeffrey Combs. I know. What was he doing at the time? 
Yeah, was he too busy? Are you sure you want to find out? I don't dislike this actor who plays Q-Ret. This is Kevin Lowe. Kevin Lowe is good. He's good. No one's saying Kevin Lowe is bad. No one is slamming Kevin Lowe. Hey, up high for Kevin Lowe. Yeah. (laughs) Down low, too slow. When Voyager goes Kevin Lowe, we (laughs) go up high. (laughs) In the corridor, Kim tells Lindsay, you shouldn't talk to that guy. That guy's bad, right? But Lindsay, like, wants the closure that this conversation would provide, right? Yeah. Like, you get the sense that she's got that real tell-off-your-dad energy. Yeah. And you think it's going to happen in the conference room. Like, Tuvok and, and Janeway are there, and they're wearing dustbusters. And for some reason, Harry Kim is also in there. And, uh, boy, you hate to feel like you're looking good for a meeting, and the first thing that the uh, person you're there to meet says is, oh, <laughs> oh. What did they do to your face? Oh. <laughs> you were so beautiful. You don't get the sense that this is the dad that like tells his daughter that she looks great no matter yeah. what. Like mm-hmm, she has mm-hmm. to boost up her confidence. He's also like outraged that he's like, you left her body in space. What what was that? And they're like, that's our custom. And he's like, well, it's our custom to reanimate people. So it's our custom to eat the rest of that. (laughs) What do you think of that? Yeah. So uh, the uh, tearful reunion of father and daughter (laughs) does not go well, Enterprise. What did you think of this scene's question about like, who is right? Because the more Q-Ret talked, the more I'm like, well, he's got a point. Like, I didn't, I didn't like the part where he, uh, he made his daughter feel bad for the way she looked. But, like, all of these connections he's describing, the family and so forth, the fact that, come on, the Voyager was not going to eat the rest of that. Like, this is good. This is, this is using all of the body buffalo here. I love these guys. They're they're reusing more than anybody else, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's not like Lindsay is over the Kabali as a thing. Like, there are Kabali things that are, like, coming to the surface in her all the time. And the dad, in his defense, is like, I don't want to fight you on this, but look, I'm going to fight for my daughter. And uh, it may not just be me next time. I'm going I'm to come back with some folks. And... uh Guess what? Anytime another crew person dies on Voyager, like they're going to be on our team too. You're not eating the rest of that. We are. Every life is precious to my people, Captain. You might say resistance is futile. Do you think it was a mistake to make this part of the episode so interesting? Or like, is it intentional to draw some equivalents here in both sides of this argument? I think the second one. I think this is the best of what Star Trek does is like, confuse the shit out of you about who might be right and wrong in a situation like this. Yeah, absolutely. Later on, Lindsay is having a bum out in the restaurant after hours eating her inert paste that she has to eat now that she's a Kobali. If the Kobali just eat French onion dip, that's not so bad, right? Oh, yeah. I think I'd be down. That looks good. It's just a like a packet of seasoning and like some sour cream and stuff, right? You know what? You can make it yourself by reducing onions and like doing the whole thing, but it's not going to be that much better than the French onion soup mix. 
Yeah. A French onion soup mix doesn't smell up your house either. Kabali cuisine at its finest. She is so sad about Q-Ret that she doesn't even want to do a prank on Tuvok. This is the scene where you learn she doesn't remember her human parents or her other ties. I kind of wanted this realization earlier. Yeah, it seems like a big thing to not remember and to not know that you don't remember for this long. She could draw Harry Kim's clarinet from memory, but she can't remember her own parents. <laughs> too bad. So Harry's attempts to cheer her up are not going great, but uh, he's like, let's just, let's do the prank on Tuvok. Like, I, I really got kind of fixated on that. So like, I want to, I want to get that done, you know, before anything happens. And she stands up and her face starts to morph back to the Kobali look and, Unfortunately, I thought this effect was a little bit less, uh, well, effective mm. <laughs> than the earlier morph effect. Have you ever tried to comfort someone in pain and their face started melting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I when I tried to comfort them by shredding some sick guitar, bro. <laughs> oh, the doctor's got bad news about uh, the face melting. This pathogen has adapted to the treatment and... Uh, Look, it's going to be fine. She just has to go get hypo sprays twice a day to her face. And she is really pissed at the doctor. Yeah. And she calls him every name in the Kabali book. Please try to understand. I don't want face dialysis twice a day. Yeah. Just want to be normal. I mean, I guess that's the reason you see face dialysis clinics all around. Mm. So it turns out Lindsay is only skin deep. Mm. She retreats to the shuttle bay and her own ship, which you would think is parked next to Neelix's ship, but it isn't. No, we don't get to see the uh, the Q-Rax or whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Harry Kim finds her there. I mean, she's just having a bum out on her ship. Which is a total sty, just like her dorm room in college. Kim's like, look, babe, I'll still blow out that back, even if it looks like a Kabali back from now on, you know? Let's put these shuttlecraft seats out flat and let's smash. That'll make you feel better. It always cheers me up. What about getting like a face pump? Like Ketracel White. I got that ice cream, that candy, that girl, that white, white, white. You know, like maybe you just get, you get that face stuff running constantly. So you're always looking uh, like a woman from the year 2000 with, with that haircut. <laughs> Come on. Surely we can come up with a solution to this problem. But she's given up, Ben. She's yeah. come around to the idea of not fighting this anymore. And when the banger drops, you can tell she's the only one uninterested in fighting. Daddy's back. And he's brought friends. Yeah, as promised. And uh, they rush up to the bridge where uh, Voyager is, you know, attempting to repel this attack. And she's like, no, stop. It's all wrong. Let me talk to them. You got to believe if you're like getting casualties on Voyager from this attack, like it's just benefiting the Kabali, right? But casualties don't always mean death, right? That's what we've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not, you know, who knows? When the casualties don't mean death, it means you are going to eat the rest of that. <laughs> it's weird how many of our euphemisms have to do with food, like the freshening up and the are you going to eat the rest of that? That's fun. Yeah. And the loaf. I like our show. Yeah, it's a good show. On the bridge, for some reason, Lindsay Ballard is invited. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, she's like saying, "Call off the attack. I'm I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give the Kobali what they want. Me." And Harry's trying to stop her. She's like, "Hey, listen. Like, I already died, and it sucked for both of us. But this way, I'm gonna die, and we can actually say goodbye to each other." So in the transporter room, it is goodbye time, and Jetlia arrives there, and and Kim says goodbye in her language, and that's. That's fun. And then she says goodbye in his language with a kiss. He says goodbye in his language. He pulls out a clarinet and plays a few licks. He can barely look at her when he transports her away. This was pretty devastating. Yeah. For a character that we've watched endure romantic trauma over and over and over again, I think this is the toughest one. She does end by saying, listen, I... Didn't cross everything off my list, but I crossed off the one that mattered most. And then she makes a circle with one pair of fingers and, and you know, pokes her index finger from the other hand into that circle. She kind of turns into profile and, like, puts both of her hands behind her back and just kind of explodes the hands. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry Kim does the beam off. And then uh, the button on the episode is him uh, holding her hairbrush, which, you know, in in Kobali land, she won't need because she doesn't have hair, so she didn't take it with. Not that we've seen. Mmm. <laughs> she could be rocking Kobali bush. So much that she needs to comb it, though? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, gotta get the tangles out. Well, uh, Mazzotti comes in and is quite taken with this hairbrush. And Harry Kim compliments her on her hair. And uh, they agree to go modify Tuvok's Vulcan program for pranks. And they, hand in hand, head, head off down the hallway to the holodeck. Weird rebound, Harry Kim. Did you like this episode, Ben? <laughs> you know, I'm really easy to get along with. Most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like threats. And I don't like you. Not it was an episode that felt so rich with potential, like that not moving on versus moving on tension that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. It's so strange that a writer's room sat around and pitched ideas for this story and didn't hit on what a big deal that would be for the Voyager crew and... And what an interesting, unexplored angle on Voyager that would be. Yeah. And for all of the richness of the performances and like some some really amazing technique stuff that they did to to tell this story, I felt like it wasn't quite the right story to tell with this premise. I almost feel like it could have been addition by subtraction a bit, like remove the B story altogether. I don't need any of the Lilith Borgs here. Like, I would much rather have Seven interact with this character additionally and to, like, feel the tension of what she would say about reacclimating into a, you know, a human existence. I know the yeah. very term is racist, but I think there's some dimensionality that could be added here, especially when you don't really need that Lilith Borg story at all. Or you could, like, you could put that into another episode, no problem. Yeah, But yeah. I mean, I still like the episode, and I like the story, and that alien, the Kabali, yeah, like the the concept of them, I think is great, uh, just a great creation. Yeah, really cool. The concept of 
priority one messages is something that excites me personally, Adam. Do you want to uh, head into the inbox with me? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we've got three dead Priority One messages here. Uh, are you ready to reanimate the first? Yeah, this is a dead message of a promotional nature. Let's get to reanimating. Fellow FODs, do you like adventure games? Childhood escapism? Pikmin? Hand-drawn art or indie games? Check out the award-winning The Wild at Heart. Join two young runaways as they unravel the mysteries of a lost realm, wield an ever-growing herd of quirky creatures, solve peculiar puzzles, and explore a rich, interconnected world in The Wild at Heart. And if nothing else, see what happens when a significant portion of a game is developed while listening to Greatest Gen. So get The Wild at Heart now on Steam, Switch, Xbox, or PlayStation. Wow, multi-platform. That's awesome. I love Pikmin. I love hand-drawn art. This sounds great. I say I love video games, but I never play them. <laughs> you should. Sounds interesting to me. Oh man, I'm looking at this uh, I'm looking at this game. This art style is really beautiful. I am going to play this game. It's got to be fucked up if it was developed while listening to us though. So Yeah. I'm seeing good reviews for this game too. And that's before they get the greatest gen bump. Yeah. I wonder if there's any greatest gen Easter eggs in there. We'll have to play it to find out. Ben, our second priority one message is from Daniel. It is to Pugs. That message goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, please give a shout out to my good friend Pugs, who is the only guy I know who knows what I'm talking about when I say her, <laughs> taking it to the dome. <laughs> what my theory presupposes is, or you got schismed. Wow. I thought Seven of Nine needed her own drop, so please play this. What's your designation? Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix Zero One. But you may call me Seven of Nine. How would you feel about Seven? We are Borg. Naturally. Are you in love with me, Well, no. Then you wish to copy me? No! <laughs> I mean, what? We need to pull it out. I love it when FODs send us their own drops. That's fun. It is fun. That's a great bit of fun. Great job, Daniel. Yeah. And uh, great job, Pugs. Yeah, knowing what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Out of our next priority one message, and the final priority one message of this inbox is from Carly, and it's to Matt. It goes like this. I bought a P1 and gave you a shout out, which went well. I bought another P1 and didn't mention you. And Ben and Adam absolutely, undeservedly, and unrelatedly roasted me. But this one, friend, is just for you. Enjoy your time in California. Eat citrus and find a good Troy. NSIC doesn't deserve you, but awaits your triumphant return. Also, buy a GDP one. Damn, we roasted Carly? I just did a, uh, a find in sheet for Carly. Uh-huh. Uh didn't come up. Carly didn't come up. I wonder if Carly changed their name so that we wouldn't roast them anymore. Yeah, weird. Oh, fuck. NSIC is pronounced N-sick. Oh. God damn it. That's not to be confused with N-A-S-I-C, which is pronounced Nasic. See, that's why I was confused. Yeah. I was confused by the whole thing, and it actually made me want to roast Carly here. No, no. Carly doesn't deserve any of this. All right. 
but seriously, Matt, like, get a GDP one. What are you waiting for? Undeservedly and unrelatedly. <laughs> Wonder what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, huh. Carly, get a P1 and explain yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it, because P1 support the production of our show. Uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, fill one out today for a better episode tomorrow. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Ooh. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to give it to Mazzotti. That seven head was just not a good likeness, Mazzotti. You did a bad job. Oh, yeah. What a great one. <laughs> what a great bit. How could it be anyone else? I'm used to kids on Star Trek polishing dolphins and making really great art. There is a great tradition of kids making sculptures in Star Trek, right? Remember Alexander's, like, Klingon Stein? That was pretty yes. good. Yes, yes. And then Isabella fucked it up. You know, if Bill Tilly were still making trading cards, I think this would be a triptych card. Oh, yeah. The, with all three of them there. Yeah, the the bad art trilogy. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Man. Love that. Yeah. How about you? Did you have a drunk Shimoda? No, that's going to be mine too. That was big fun. <laughs> big, big fun. Ben, we got to figure out what the next episode is, but without a game, what do you want to do about it? I don't know, man. Uh... The game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, still broken. Still broken. We can't even get to the admin page of it. Yeah, what the hell? You know what? I'm going to text Craig Anderson right now. Let's see, what should I say? Hey, man, what the fuck? <laughs> you flaked on dinner and you fucked the game. Yeah. Ben, what episode are we going to watch next week? It's uh, season six, episode 19 of Star Trek Voyager. It's called Child's Play. The Voyager crew must rescue a young boy being used as a weapon of destruction against the Borgs? Sounds like a real moral quandary. <laughs> Sounds like a boy bomb. Mm. Ben, here's what I'm going to vote for. Why don't we make the next episode a regular old episode, and maybe by then the game will be fixed. It's our show. We can make up what the rules are. Yeah, I'm just looking forward at the uh, at the production calendar. We got a lot on our plate recording-wise this week, so I think a regular old episode is uh, is both fair to us, fair to the friends of DeSoto, and the right thing to do. Check your podcast feed and check it often. Mm -hmm. That's our advice. Well, my advice is to head to MaximumFun.org slash join if you like this show and uh, pick up a, a monthly support tier that works for your budget. You know, of all of the ways that we have uh, set up to support this show, that's the best one. The, the one where the most rubber meets the road for us. That support allows us to do things like live show tours, like we're doing right now. Touring is wildly expensive, and our ability to do that is made possible through the support we get at MaximumFun.org slash join. So thanks for doing that. And uh, hopefully we'll come out to see you in a city near you. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program, who, uh, I mean, without whom, like, well, we wouldn't be here today, right? Hey, guess what? She gets a full salary and uh, health benefits thanks to uh, MaximumFun.org slash join and the support we get there. Indeed. Uh, we got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy who runs the at Greatest Trek social media accounts. Just about every social network there is that's worth being on and many that are not worth being on. 
We have it on good authority that the Card Daddy is going to be at the Washington, D.C. live show. Oh, boy. Can't wait. So if you want to meet Bill Tilly, that's a way to do it. Book your tickets now. At the D.C. live show, uh, you can find date and ticket information at greatestgentour.com. Yeah, we got a bunch of dates coming up. This week we'll be in Chicago, Minneapolis. Is that it? Just two in the Midwest? A two-show leg in the Midwest? How about that? That's great. I love Chicago and Minneapolis. Two of our favorite cities to do this show in, and uh, probably going to be a lot of extendo family of Adams at that Chicago show. So Yeah. If you see any bald guys at the Chicago show, you can assume they're family. Uh, we got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made our original Janeway song, a theme song, the Greatest Generation Voyager, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song, and uh, all the folks who participated in all the great communities online surrounding this show, the Wakia slash fandom community, the Discord community at DrunkShimoto.com, the Reddit group, the Facebook groups, all of them uh, really positive, wonderful places to hang out with like-minded friends of DeSoto. And uh, we encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. And with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Ben and Adam get in touch with their inner young boys who are being used as weapons of destruction against just about everybody in their lives. Make it so. Quirky creatures. Quirky creatures. Quirky creatures. Quirky. That's tough. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.